listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season. LutheranPublicRadio.org. Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, sung by the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. Well, that promise made in the Old Testament that Emmanuel would come is kept. It comes in the form of an angel visiting a virgin, and through the promise that he speaks from God himself, she conceives of the Christ child. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 19th of December, It's time to look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the fourth Sunday in Advent, the Gospel reading in Luke 1 being the birth of Jesus not only foretold but made sure with the word of promise to the Virgin Mary. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be here. Why do the Gospels emphasize Jesus' ancestry? Well, the Jewish people cared a lot about ancestry. They mark it down in numbers everywhere else. They're always concerned about who's begotten from whom. I think there's plenty of reason for that for all of us, frankly. We know the commands of the scriptures, that children are such a blessing. So that's why we should always be looking toward our descendants. But likewise, our belly button shows this. We might think that we're apples who roll away, but we're not far from the tree that we've come before us. It's important to consider those who are our ancestors, those who have given us life and hopefully faith also, that we would continue in those footsteps. But it's all the more important when you have a promise that is connected to childbirth, that there will be one born in some offspring that is yet to come, in whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. So we've heard that promise iterated to Eve in the garden, to Abraham in the midst of this Old Testament scriptures. Now we're going to hear it especially to David. And finally, we're going to see it come to its fruition in Jesus Christ. Thus, Matthew's gospel and Luke's as well begin with a genealogy to show that Christ comes from the very same lines of Israel that it was prophesied he would come from, that you can trace it through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, specifically through Judah, and on down through David and the rest. What connections along those lines should we be looking for? 
Well, we're going to hear in today's text, two characters in particular, we're going to hear about David, especially, and then we're going to hear about Mary. And when we hear about Mary, we're going to hear that she is betrothed to Joseph, who is from the house and lineage of David as well. And those themes are going to be throughout our scriptures today. We're going to hear about houses and origins. We're thinking here not only of buildings, but also of peoples, of family names, you might say, and where they come from. What are the stories that shape these families? But we're also going to be looking towards the future generations, the descendants of these families, and the promises that are given that won't be fulfilled, especially when we look at David. We'll see that there's a great promise given to him that's not fulfilled in his lifetime, that's not fulfilled in his person. Indeed, he's not the one who gets to build the temple that's given to his descendant, Solomon, even though David does get to see it happen. And all of this is going to lead up to faith itself, trusting in promises and believing that they will be true even if we don't see it immediately, believing that they will be true on account of the faithfulness of the promiser. And here we're not talking about any old promise, we're talking specifically about the promises that God makes. The reason you could say that the tracing of all these genealogies is all rooted in the belief in the promise that the Christ is to come. Thus they're keeping track. They're waiting for this fulfillment to come. What is the alternative that you wanted to point out here? Well, as we're recording it, Advent 4 this year falls on the very same day as Christmas Eve. That's kind of unusual. It doesn't happen all that often. Uh, But when it does, there is an old tradition to take that first service of Christmas. You'll notice uh, if you look in your hymnal, for example, there are four. There's Christmas Eve. There's Christmas Midnight. There's Christmas morning and Christmas day. The Eve service sometimes gets shifted to that Sunday morning. And that might seem strange. Why would you start Christmas early? Especially when I think this channel in particular has been interested in promoting Advent and not neglecting it. Well, that very first service, Christmas Eve or the vigil of Christmas, really is kind of like the final service of Advent on the day before we get to the midnight divine service and Christ's birth. And the readings actually parallel with the fourth Sunday quite clearly, as we have it this year in year B. So if you were to do that, you'd end up having Isaiah 7, the prophecy that we're going to hear later in our verse, that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel. We'll hear Romans 1, which talks as Paul begins his letter. He speaks about being a servant of Jesus Christ, the one who was promised beforehand by the prophets, the one who is descended from David according to the flesh, exactly what we're going to hear in today's gospel as well, and declared to be the Son of God according to the Spirit that we'll hear about also who overshadows Mary. Then the gospel for the eve is really just the other side of what we're going to hear today. So Gabriel comes and announces to Mary that she is going to give birth to a son. That's what we'll hear. But the Christmas vigil is the opposite. It's just Gabriel going to Joseph and telling him what's going on. So announcing not only that he shouldn't be afraid to take Mary as his wife. She is indeed a virgin. This uh, child is from the Holy Spirit. But also, of course, what that name Jesus means, the one who will save his people from their sins. The intro that is historic for this day is quite beloved, and I'll just read it for uh, the listener's interest. It's from Exodus, 
And it's talking about something Moses says to the people as they're about to receive the manna, the bread that God is going to rain from heaven. And he says, at evening, you will know that the Lord will come and save us. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. He's speaking about the glory of God in that miracle of giving the manna, but he's also, of course, speaking about the very same glory that has been present with them, leading them, this cloud and pillar of fire that backs off the Egyptians that now comes to rest over his tabernacle, the house of the Lord, to be present with his people. All themes that we're going to see come up later today as we look at our Old Testament reading and our gospel for this fourth Sunday in year B. All to say that really you see how it really is a true parallel between what we're going to hear today and what you might hear later this evening or in other years on Christmas Eve at the very first service. The intro it is Isaiah 45 and Psalm 19. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of him, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So this antiphon is rorate cheli, shower down, O heavens. It's the traditional antiphon for the fourth Sunday in Advent. And it's also for Lutherans, the traditional antiphon for the intro for the Annunciation of our Lord. And in, here in year B of the three-year lectionary, we have that very text on Advent 4. This makes perfect sense. This is beautiful. As we've discussed before, this theme is brought up also in Psalm 85, expressions that have often in Christian history been connected to the incarnation in particular. So that the the heavens are going to rain down, not just righteousness as a generic idea, but the righteous one himself, Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. He's going to come down to us from the Lord's house, but also that the earth, the womb is going to open and bring forth that righteous one. So you see both his divine origin and his human origin, that his flesh is of the Virgin Mary, as we confess every Sunday in the Creed. I'd like to say we do want to disavow any kind of cooperation or a co-working to accomplish that some also want to draw from these very same images. One, that's unnecessary, but two, it's incongruent with the way the scriptures describe our Lord's coming and his annunciation, that this is entirely of the Lord's favor. It's the power of the Lord that accomplishes this. And so we see that it's the Lord bringing forth his righteousness, not only of heavenly origin, but also from earthly origin. We then jump in to Psalm 19, which really our listeners should hear as a reprise of the hymn of the day for first Sunday in Advent, Savior of the nations come. God the Father was his source. Back to God he ran his course. Into hell his road went down, back then to his throne and crown. And fortuitous with the language that we'll have, especially in our Old Testament reading, there's a tent, there's a tabernacle, a house of God in heaven. And here Christ, described here metaphorically as the sun, is leaving that chamber, is running his course. This would be the course of salvation. 
in fact, everyone will see his salvation. As we heard last Sunday in the Alleluia verse, all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. What is the collect for the fourth Sunday? Stir up your power, O Lord, and come and help us by your might that the sins which weigh us down may quickly be lifted by your grace and mercy. So we pray that God would lift us out of our sins. This is very similar to the themes of many of the O antiphons that have really gained in popularity for Advent. We'll come and speak about those when we get to the hymn of the day today. But it's a, a final expression of our urgency here before Christmas. Come and help us. Simply lift us out of all of these things. I think we learn from this colic that it is perfectly acceptable as a Christian to be anxious and even a little impatient for Christmas. No problem there, especially today, at least as we're recording, that it is actually the day of Christmas Eve. But let's just be clear what it is we as Christians are desiring about Christmas and about all of these advents that we've been looking at with Jesus. We desire and are eager to have our sins lifted, that we would be delivered from them, and that we would have the gifts of our Lord's grace and mercy. As another collect says, he shows his almighty power chiefly by showing mercy and pity. So when we're praying for the Lord to stir up his power and come, it's that he would give us these. Rescue us from the threatening perils of our sin, Advent 1, that he would lift us out of them, Advent 4. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the fourth Sunday in Advent, and we'll have the Old Testament reading for that Sunday from 2 Samuel next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we finish up the prophet Micah with What does the Lord require? Destruction of the wicked, awaiting the salvation of God. Rejoice not, O enemy, and who is a God like you? Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or on your favorite podcast provider. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December uses detailed illustrations and rhyming text to tell the story of Jesus' birth. It's titled, N is for Nativity. This new hardcover children's book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about N is for Nativity at issuesetc.org. Use the ABCs from Advent to Zion to teach your children and grandchildren the Christmas story with N is for Nativity. Solid, serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Our Savior Lutheran Church in Winchester, Virginia, you will hear God's Word faithfully preached every Sunday. We invite you to join our growing family of believers this week and every week for Education Hour beginning at 9 a.m., followed by Divine Worship at 10 a.m. For more information, find us on the web at OurSavior-LCMS.org. That's OurSavior-LCMS.org. Memoria Press's award-winning Latin programs have successfully taught hundreds of thousands of students across the world. Their easy-to-use, step-by-step Latin curriculum provides students with an academic vocabulary, a mastery of English grammar, and strong critical thinking skills. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com. 
and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the fourth Sunday in Advent. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We have the Old Testament reading, Sean, in 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 11, and then 16. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, this was King David, by the way, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people out of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house." and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a, a very significant event, this prophecy uh, that points to Christ Jesus, this uh, word of the Lord that came from Nathan to the king David. It's a renewal of an ancient covenant that is to and now through David as well. So we see that David has this desire. This is toward the end of his life. This is after his wars and his conquests have secured the nation of Israel from its many enemies around it. Just think of all the stories of David and all the battles that have to be waged against the Philistines and others. Now they've finally got some security, and he kind of sits down and says, why should I rest and not have the Lord rest? Why should I be in a solid, sturdy, permanent roof and the Lord is still in a temporary dwelling as a tent? So David wants to make that tabernacle permanent. He wants to build the temple, in other words. But God then, when he speaks by Nathan, reverses it. I think it's very interesting that Nathan's first instinct is to say, whatever your heart desires, you should seek that. But actually, that's not the way it works, even with people that the Lord is with, like David. Actually, we want to hear the word from the Lord. That's how we know this is the right thing to do, not just because we happen to be Christians and we want to do something. That's a recipe for disaster. But what is it that the Lord says? He plays with this. He says, oh, I never asked for this. I never commanded anyone else. This is not my idea, God says. 
Rather, I am going to build you a house. You see how he turns that around for David. He says he's going to build him not a temple, not a permanent house of cedar. Apparently David has one. But he's going to build David a name, a household, a lineage, a family heritage. And to quote from Psalm 132, which makes this very explicit, the promise here is that of the fruit of your body, I will set on the throne. That David is not going to be the last king, but he is going to be the beginning of a whole line of kings that will continue. And that, well, then the prophecy gets a little more specific, doesn't it? When we pick it back up at verse 16, it makes it very clear that this house and kingdom of David is not going to just be an ordinary earthly kingdom, but will be one that is established forever, that is made sure and, and this is not accomplished by fighting off the enemies so that they're not inclined to attack us anymore. This is going to be by the Lord's establishing himself. So this is going to be a conditional promise as regards all of the earthly kingship and family line. In fact, we don't get to hear all those details in our selection, uh, but we will kind of pick them up in the psalm that follows this. So long as they keep the Lord's covenant, so long as they continue in his ways as David has, then this scepter, his sons, will continue to sit on that very same throne. We know from Israel's history that's not at all the way it went. In fact, it was only after Solomon that the kingdom divides and then it's one disaster after another. But this promise is absolutely unconditional as it regards Christ Jesus, the long coming ahead descendant of David. He's the fruit. He's the seed of David's body. And he's the one who is going to sit on an utterly new kind of throne because he's going to be the Lord himself born to sit and to rule his kingdom, the church. You mentioned the Psalm, Psalm 89. This is one of those psalms I'm guessing most people don't know. There are a whole bunch of long historical psalms. 78 is another one. 89 is a great one. And we just tend to not sing these very often, usually because they're long. But they tell the history of Israel in kind of repeated form. And so as a result, we have not only the, the history recorded for us by Moses, uh, by the chroniclers, but we also have these poetic versions. And the poetic versions almost always bring out the lessons that are to be learned about this, the theological significance of these in stark relief. This is no exception. Uh, we'll look at our portion, which is 1 to 5 and then 19 to 29. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand may be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. 
I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne as in the days of the heavens. So this entire psalm is founded on the very promise and event that we heard in the Old Testament from Samuel. We hear the most pertinent parts regarding that event in this psalm portion that has been selected for us. But it's worth knowing what's omitted, and I think the listeners who always want more can go and benefit from reading all of Psalm 89. You'll see the parts that are omitted are significant. They're the conditional promises I mentioned, the failure of David's descendants to keep faith, and then the recollection of these promises for what purpose? So that future generations after David, after the kingdom's divided, after things have fallen apart, can recall this promise and say, Lord, even if they have failed in this earthly part, are you not going to keep this? Are you not going to restore the kingdom? Here we have the entire question of what the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is coming to do. Is he here to overthrow Rome and establish an earthly kingdom of Israel, a new Davidic kingdom? Or is he coming to establish that eternal forever kingdom that the psalm as well as the promises of the Lord had declared? So we then also might pray it asking him to recall and refresh this promise. We know that it's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus, and we ask that he would also bring it to full fruition in his second coming. Verse 20, when it says, I found David my servant, and with my holy oil I have anointed him. Again, every time we hear that word anointed, it's very important to remember this is the very same word as Christ, as Messiah. And if we were reading in Hebrew or especially in Greek, we would see these names just jump off the page at us. And that means that finally this has to be directed beyond just its application to David, certainly to Jesus himself. We're looking for one who is going to come from the house and the line of David, but whose existence and his rule is going to be forever and unending. And that is going to apply to Jesus Christ alone. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He is walking us through the propers for the fourth Sunday in Advent, according to the three-year lectionary. We come to the epistle in Romans 16 after this. Listen to the best of the church's music for the Advent season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Advent season, lutheranpublicradio.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. 
Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethlehem Lutheran, Sylvan Grove, Kansas. Faith Lutheran, Georgetown, Texas. Holy Cross Lutheran, Moline, Illinois. Emmanuel Lutheran, Perryville, Missouri. Mount Calvary Lutheran, San Antonio, Texas. Peace with Christ Lutheran, Fort Collins, Colorado. Shepherd of Peace Lutheran, Maumel, Arkansas. St. Mark Lutheran, Waco, Texas. St. Peter Lutheran, Clintonville, Wisconsin. And Trinity Lutheran, Wichita, Kansas. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Speaking of Lutheran worship, the Divine Service is the theme of the January edition of the Lutheran Witness magazine. The Lutheran Witness interprets the world from a Lutheran perspective. You can receive an annual digital and print subscription for less than $25. Find out more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Lutheran Witness magazine. Sean, the epistle reading for this coming Sunday is Romans 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul concludes his letter to the Romans with an acclamation of praise and one that includes a blessing in it. So the acclamation of praise, you gotta, Paul is definitely weaving this sentence in and out of itself. So uh, let's just rephrase it so we can see these parts. He is giving them a praise of the Lord. He's saying, now to him, to him who can do all sorts of things, now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. That's his 
acclamation of praise. Then he also has encased in it a blessing for all his readers and hearers, us included, and that is, he is able to strengthen you. For what purpose? He is able to strengthen you and he is able to bring about the obedience of faith. That we also then would be partakers of the promises, which doesn't come about, notice, through an obedience of works, but comes about through this kind of obedience that we hear and trust his promises. So then Paul has this phrase also encased in here that all of this is according to his gospel, to my gospel, he says. That's a puzzling phrase to some people. Does it mean his preaching uh, and his good news, the good news that Paul is taking around? Does it mean actually a physical gospel? Is this like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? We have to maybe decide which one it is, maybe Luke. Or does it mean simply the gospel, as you and I might use it, Todd, where it means the message of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ? I suppose you could also even take that and to be kind of a, uh, an explanation of, according to my gospel, that is even the preaching of Jesus Christ. Well, I think it's clarified what he means, regardless of how you want to resolve that question, by what he says right after it. He goes on to speak about what the prophets have foretold, and what they have foretold is a secret mystery, he says, but something that now is no longer hidden. It's been revealed, specifically it's been revealed not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the nations, he says. Thus, this section sounds very similar to something that Peter writes in his first epistle, where he says, the angels have longed to look in these things that were hidden from the ages and now have been disclosed and made known to you. Paul also says this elsewhere. So notice, we've heard the prophets, we've heard David, now we're directed to see it fulfilled and to see that mystery revealed in the sight of all. And as a result, I think this is a perfect reading to have as a transition from all those great promises in the Old Testament made to David to what we're about to hear now, the Annunciation to the Blessed Virgin Mary of the birth of the Savior and that feast that we're about to celebrate here, Christmas, the divine service of Christ Jesus and his birth. This is the mystery that's revealed, not just for some, but as we'll see on Christmas Eve to all people born this day in Bethlehem, a Savior, Christ the Lord, for all people. What are the gradual inverse for the fourth Sunday in Advent? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. There's our gradual, similar to what we've heard expecting this kingdom and bringing us to be joyful about it. But it takes a special character today as we actually have a daughter brought to us here in the gospel reading, Mary. She's brought to our attention. We'll see she's a daughter of Zion and Jerusalem, even though she's not living there. But also mentioned is this house of the Lord, blessing you out of the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament, in the psalmody, that always has to do with the temple and the tabernacle. But we see that now today that the house of the Lord is much greater, always has been and always continues to be much greater than just a tent or a really solid building of cedar or stone on this earth. 
It's his name. It's his house in terms of lineage. And in Christ, this is now made known to us very explicitly. The blessings of the divine house are given to us through him. This is the true son and heir. Thus, everybody who is joined in with him becomes a son and an heir as well of this great kingdom. So the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ, and he's bringing that to us. All beautifully shown then and connected with today's readings. We come then to the verse, which is borrowed from Matthew 1. In fact, it's borrowed from the passage that is the first service of Christmas, that Christmas Eve or Christmas Vigil gospel. And it itself quotes Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does this mean? It means that God dwells with us, and he dwells with us far beyond his dwelling in past times, where, yes, he was very much truly here, tangibly here even, in his glorious presence in the temple and in the tabernacle before that. But now he has come in our flesh. Now he is born of the Virgin Mary, as we confess. So we get to hear that even today as we look at these four Sunday in Advent readings. The gospel reading takes us to the account of the Annunciation in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So David, as the Lord related to us through Nathan's prophecy, David was chosen out of the flocks, right, as a shepherd boy following the sheep. That's not the most glamorous description possible. He's chosen even though he's somewhat of a nobody at the time. But then the Lord raises him up for his own purposes to make him great. This is also what happens with St. Mary. There's so much evidence from the other parts of the scripture that Mary is by no means a wealthy woman. She's got to use the turtle dove option for her sacrifice at her purification. Obviously, it must not have been good for her to have been treated as one who was pregnant out of wedlock, even though, of course, the message from Gabriel to Joseph was believed and is true that this is a child that is born of God. And yet the Lord comes to her. 
He cares for her. He greets her and he lifts her up to be the very mother of God. This passage is essential. It really is bottled up in the phrases of the creed where we say he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary. That's two sentences, by the way, by the power of or by this overshadowing that's described. And of, that is out of, from the womb of and from the flesh of the Virgin Mary to be our Lord, to become man. But it's also quite significant for us as Lutherans so that we can understand how we ought to understand Mary as an icon of the church and as the archetype of our most holy faith. So we see what? That she receives a message of utter grace. The words, as it is in the Greek, that the angel brings are greetings, O favored one. Greetings, one who is shown favor by God, right? one to whom I am declaring favor in this very message. Later he says, you have found favor with God. The Lord is favorable to you. These are all synonyms of the same thing. So she receives this message of grace, something entirely undeserved, that out of the Lord's good disposition is bestowed upon her. And she believes this word and its promise. It's very significant that she says, behold, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be to me how? Just as you've said. Whatever you say is the way it shall be. That's her faith. That's what she trusts in. This is the way the Lord's promises work. He gives them and invites us then to believe, and Mary does that. And what does faith do? Maybe this is the first thing that's kind of metaphorical. Faith begets Christ Jesus in her. We don't have the full details on how this works scientifically, we might say, but we know that by the word of God, Christ comes, just as the angel said, but to be conceived in Mary so that he may be born in our flesh here on earth. So this is what faith also does to us. It gives us all the benefits of Christ Jesus. It begets him in us that we belong to him and he belongs to us. This then is, is really an example of our understanding of faith, that to trust in the Lord's promises and to say, it'll be as you say, Lord, is in fact to receive all of his benefits and his favor and his grace. And so we see that chiefly in St. Mary. And uh, well, just as Jesus himself says later in Luke, blessed are those who, like St. Mary, like the breast which nursed him and the womb that bore him, as the lady came up and said, who hear the word of God and keep it. That's the secret. That's the gospel. That's when the word of God, particularly the forgiveness of sins through our Redeemer, Christ Jesus, is spoken to us and we say, amen. That's the truth. I believe it. I take that to heart. This is what makes for a blessed person. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. A little more on Mary, how we should rightly regard her after this. If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2023, please make a year-end gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. 
you can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support at the end of 2023. Our children are always a blessing to us, but not only are we blessed by them, but we have opportunities to bless them as well. Pastor Christopher Nuttleman, in the December issue of The Lutheran Witness, takes up the topic of blessing your children, how to bless them in your home with the Word of God and prayer. To learn more, pick up your copy of the December issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org slash schools. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the fourth Sunday in Advent. Pastor Sean Denser is our guest. Sean, we were talking about Mary before the break, and since we're on the Annunciation and the Virgin Mary, how should we rightly regard her? We regard her as everything the scriptures say about her, and they do say some pretty astonishing things. Explicitly, it says she's the most blessed of all women. Likewise, even the angel Gabriel here in today's text says she is a favored one of the Lord. She has found favor with God. So we're not afraid to call her blessed. We're not even afraid to call her the most blessed. This is a unique task. Maybe a better term would be a unique privilege that she is given to be the mother of God. And so there's nothing wrong with honoring her according to that. Now, I I did say a phrase in there that maybe gives pause to some and that is to call her the mother of God. Seems a little intense, I guess, and I suppose implies, because this is the way it works with all of us, that she came before God did. That, of course, can't be true, since we know that all things were created through Christ, and without him, nothing was made that was made. But according to the flesh, according to his human nature, that is of the Virgin Mary, as we confess. And if we're not able to call her the mother of God, we're not able to say that the child who is in her womb is God himself. That's not a slight on Mary. It's a slight on Jesus. It's actually making him less than God. So for the sake of that, we don't shy away from the term mother of God. Now, Mary herself is not God. She's also not one who has participated in our salvation in the sense that she is a cause of it or achieving it or or by her work is cooperating with the Lord to 
add something that he's lacking, a power that he's missing in order to achieve this. That would be going quite far. She puts herself in an entirely passive position and says, let it be done to me according to your word. Let it happen just as you've said. And that's right. That's that's how the Lord's work is. It's always his singular work, uh, which is received by faith. Can I draw our attention to one other word here? It's, it's sure. one we probably passed over quickly. In the angel's explanation of how this will be, which isn't into all sorts of details, but it does mention the Holy Spirit in particular, always at work in the word of God, but also that the power of the Most High will overshadow her. Now, that's a very significant word. That word is one that is used in other places, especially in the Old Testament, in regard to the temple and the tabernacle that the Lord's glorious presence overshadows the tabernacle, overshadows the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant there in the Holy of Holies. Now, we've spent the whole time downplaying the physical temple, the physical tabernacle, that the Lord's going to build a house for David, and he seems to downplay it since he says he's fine with having wandered around in a tent. In fact, mobile's better for him. He wants to be wherever his people are. He's going to lead them wherever they go. But we do know that the temple that was referenced in our Old Testament reading was built. Solomon built it. David got to organize the musicians and the celebration for it. And the Lord came and he dwelled graciously in it, just as he had before in the tabernacle. We know that when the temple was destroyed and the people of Israel carted off to Babylon, it was a great moment of misery. And Ezekiel famously says that the glory departs, which is astonishing and a sad phrase. We also know that when the temple was rebuilt, when people came back, the glory did not return with it, which is a devastating reality, but also something preparatory saying something's missing here that we should be waiting for. Of course, that's Christ Jesus. Well, here in the prophecy, the, the, the language of the temple is used, overshadowing the mercy seat. But this is said not describing the temple, but describing Mary and the child that will be conceived in her. The implication is that, for a time at least, Mary becomes the tabernacle of the Lord, and her womb is like the temple of the Lord. And some of our hymns take this theme up. That's an astonishing phrase, but the emphasis there is that the one who is dwelling in her womb for nine months, even before Christmas comes, is nothing less than God himself. It's amazing and deserves our honor and glory. It's the Lord who acts in all of this. He fulfills his promises. He shows that something greater even than the temple, something greater than the tabernacle, that he is the Lord of that temple. And in fact, as we see throughout the New Testament, Jesus is the true temple. And whoever worships him in spirit and truth, whoever receives his words, just as we've seen Mary did, receives him and all of his benefits with it. What would you say about the hymn in particular, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, It's no surprise that this is the hymn of the day for the fourth Sunday in Advent. This hymn is based on the O Antiphons. So at every Vespers service, this would be an evening prayer service that the church for many decades and centuries 
actually observed every single day. Every night we'd have Vespers. And every night at Vespers, we would sing the Magnificat. And every time at Vespers, when we'd sing the Magnificat, we'd proceed it with a little antiphon that might be cued into the season or the day, or maybe the Sunday if it's a special day. Well, the last seven days before Christmas, they all had these traditional antiphons that began with, oh, some name for God, some name for Christ. Those are called the O Antiphons. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a hymn version of the text of those antiphons. And all the order has been mixed up, actually. So it's no longer the order that it used to be. But it kind of takes O Come, Emmanuel as its head. And then we get to go through all the others. Lutheran Service Book has done a really nice thing for us. It's given us the text of those O Antiphons for anybody who's curious or who wants to actually try to use them with the Magnificat. So we see that December 17 is O Wisdom. December 18 is O Adonai, that means Lord, Mighty Lord. December 19 is the Root of Jesse, already referencing David. December 20 is O Key of David, even more kingly and pointed to David. 21 is O Dayspring. That's that phrase that's mentioned in Zechariah's uh, Benedictus, the Dayspring from on high comes and visits us. Uh, 22 is O King of Nations. This would be of the Gentiles, that he's the one who draws them to himself. And then the 23rd, right before Christmas Eve, is O Emmanuel. And there's no Vespers because we've got all those services coming up. The hymn that we know came from John Mason Neal, who translated a medieval paraphrase that he found, or, or maybe drew more on the antiphons. The tune actually is fairly late in its use. So the hymn itself is not all that ancient, but it's built on the parts that go back at least to the 8th century, which is very exciting. And in it, we get to address the Lord with very Old Testament-focused titles so that we also can remember that the Old Testament people were waiting for this Savior to come. This is the Savior that we now await in his second glorious return to redeem us. And so we join with them here as we come up to the last few days of Christmas, and that's the center of it all. Come, it would be in the antiphon, and here we begin every stanza with that phrase, O come. And then we speak kind of poetically to Israel, and in a way then we speak to one another as the Israel of God. Rejoice, as we have been in our gradual all these weeks. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Rejoice, O Israel. Rejoice, O church. Your Emmanuel, your God with us, is coming, and he will come to you soon. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. Merry Christmas, almost. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the Vatican's recent statement about blessing same-sex couples. Our guest will be Pastor Heath Curtis. And on This Week in Pop Christianity, we'll talk with Chris Rosebro about Stephen Furtick's sermon, The Pajamas Are a Prophecy. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. 
You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wildwood, Missouri is a proud sponsor of Issues Etc., And if you enjoy the relevant, Christ-centered teachings presented on this program, then you should come and join us at St. Paul's on Sundays at 9 a.m., where you will hear sermons that proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins, and enjoy in-depth Bible studies to help us grow as disciples. For more information, check us out at stpaullutheranwildwood.org. How can conspiracy theories become a form of idolatry? I've written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, Yes, Elvis is Dead, But God is in His Heaven, a pastoral response to conspiracy theories. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Julie Stegemeyer writes about her path from Methodism to Lutheranism. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.